for it tins a bunch of badasses if you know what I mean They're coming out of the sky, out of the sea And on land gonna take it to the enemy But anyway, uh, I do want to get to a subject, though, since this is a SEAL thing. I want to get to Chris Kyle here. Okay. Yeah, a little bit. Perfect. Because I want to clear the air on some stuff that's out there that has made me a villain in the SEAL community. Yeah. Yeah. Let me let me just say some real quick. We did post uh, that we were having this interview, and man, on NavySeals.com and our Facebook, and and it kind of lit up, and that was the biggest thing. You know, uh, so I'm glad we're talking about that. There was a lot of comments, and one guy, but I think from a, a, a positive standpoint, one guy, Jake, I'll say, Jake Porad said, I guess hearing both sides of the story isn't a thing anymore because everyone in the, in the forum was was kind of bashing you. So he said he's really interested in hearing what you have to say. And I thought that was really positive, and I, I am too as well. So, well, um, I met Chris once. I didn't know him well, but I met, I met him once, and, you know, it's tragic that he passed away. So yep. I think well, I, I met him only once. Okay. I met him only once that night, that night at McPee's. Right. You know, and uh, I had no idea. It never happened. That's the bottom line. Mm-hmm. He and I have never, never had a confrontation. He never so, hit me. So let, let's characterize this for the folks who may not know the story, which I okay. know a lot of people do. But he, in his book, right? Because I, I didn't read his book, but I, what I heard is in his book he said that you guys were in McTees, which is the SEAL hangout in Coronado. We've yep. all been there. And that you guys had an interaction that, and that you decked him. That's what he claimed in his book, right? Well, he claims that I was saying SEALs deserve to die, that SEALs are baby killers. Oh, and we during the we saw them improve the story that came out in court. Right. Every time they rewrote it, it got better. Mm-hmm. With me saying more things. Now, first of all, I'll defend it to all the community by saying this: I was out there for the graduation of 258 because I'm right. class 58. My bicentennial class was graduating the next day. That's mm-hmm. why I was there in tradition. If I felt that way about the Navy SEALs, why would I be there? Right. See, when you apply common sense to his story, it completely falls apart. Why would I be out there honoring Class 258 if I felt the SEALs were murderers and baby killers and all the think crap, vile crap he wrote about me? Mm -hmm. So uh, I I, I believe I met him that night. I met a bunch. What happened was we were there, us old-timers, and then there was a memorial service apparently that day for a Congressional Medal of Honor winner. Right. And so their young group was there also, and let me throw this in. They also had, I think it was a 1000 or $2,000 to spend on booze. Right. So needless to say, which side do you think was inebriated? We weren't, because we're the old guys. We're too old to get it. I was 55 at the time. And Chris alleges that I was saying this stuff and that he came up and told me to, that there was a congr- they were there to honor a Congressional Medal of Honor winner and that I shouldn't talk that way, blah, 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 and that I got out of hand and that I actually threw a punch at him so he decked me. Mm-hmm. Never happened. Interesting. Never happened. The whole story never happened. We were there. 
I've never had an altercation at a SEAL event, ever. I, I've been treated respectful. I've tried to pe treat people respectfully. Well, you've seen what it's like when me and Rudy show up. You've been there, Mark. It's right. like not that night was no different. I posed for pictures. I did everything, uh, you know, that, that I do. And fortunately, a few of my classmates were with me the whole night before, during, and after, and they testified on my behalf right. when it went to trial. And so anyway, Chris writes this book, and he writes a chapter that this event occurred. Right. And now this is what propels the book to number one because it came out in court. The pre-sale of his book, I think, was only 2,000 copies. Right. It was a niche book. He went on O'Reilly, and he went on these TV shows and told that story, and it sold 100,000 books in a day. No kidding. Yes. So tell me who propelled. I like to put it in this aspect. Look at it like a rocket going to space. The rocket has a booster rocket that gets it up into out of the atmosphere, and then it falls off. And then from that point on, the rocket can go on its own. I was the booster rocket. Right. You know, once it achieved New York Times number one bestseller, then it's going to have a life of its own. People are going to buy it because it's number one. But, but he did this solely on me with this lie. And I was in Mexico at the time because I lived down there off the grid when this, my son emails me that he's on TV telling this whopper story with O'Reilly and all that. Only thing I could do is get my lawyer and bring a lawsuit to stop him, which we did. Mm -hmm. And then, unfortunately, Chris, during the course of the lawsuit, which went on for about a year or so, a year and a half later, Chris unfortunately dies. Right. Why did you think that was the only thing you could do? What, were there potentially other... Well, because it was the only thing that could clear my name. Right. When I continued with the lawsuit, that's the natural progression of what lawsuits do if a right. participant dies. Right. Chris Kyle's family has not paid a cent. It's an insurance company. All book publishers have insurance. The insurance company has paid every penny for the Kyle family. They are out nothing. But Jesse Ventura, who's the plaintiff, I don't have insurance that does that. This thing has cost me nearly $1 million to clear my name. Good Lord. In lawyer fees. It's gone on for four years. I'm still waiting for the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals to uphold the decision. What you know, they took it to the Court of Appeals. Out? So how did that, just walk us through the legal process. How did that... Um, well, the legal process happened. I, I then brought a lawsuit to stop Kyle from talking about it because I said, this story didn't happen. This is a lie. He's defaming me. So we progressed with a defamation lawsuit, unjust enrichment, and illegal use of my copyrighted name and likeness. And so... We went through all the process of trying to settle out of court. I offered Chris. I met him face-to-face, -face, and he still wouldn't admit it didn't happen. I looked right at him. I said, how can you say this? It never happened. Oh, yes, it did. That was his response. So I ended up, we go to court. Unfortunately, he passed, but we had five hours of deposition. We deposed Chris Kyle for five hours, my attorney's. So we played all the deposition in court, and then, of course, they ran up a string of his SEAL buddies to try to testify on his behalf, and it got embarrassing because not one of them, not one of them could put the punch in the same place.
You've done the McTees, haven't you? Yeah, funny. If funny. somebody got hit on the patio, would you know about it if you were out there? Sure. Yeah, absolutely you would. Well, not one of their witnesses could stayed at the same spot. Interesting. They had me outside. They had me inside. They had me... It got embarrassing. It truly did. I sat there in embarrassment going... And, and like Chris's wife said, if she'd had better lawyers, she'd have won. My response is, the only way she could have won is if she had David Copperfield as her lawyer. <laughs> she needs somebody who can take something that didn't happen and use magic to make it happen. He said there was a police across the street when it happened. You're telling me <clears throat> that if Jesse Ventura got decked in 06 in a public place, with the cops across the street, it wouldn't have been in the paper? Right. Nothing. Yeah. First I learned of it was when his book came out in 2012. So we end up going to court. Chris passed, unfortunately. I continued the lawsuit to clear my name. All I asked of them was to admit it didn't happen and they wouldn't do it. Mm -hmm. So they forced me to be the villain and forced me to go to court. And their lawyers made it seem like the Kyle family was paying for it which was completely untrue. Mm -hmm. And so we go to court, the jury sides with me, the federal judge sides with me, and even in the, the federal judge, interesting, his name is Kyle also, uh, the fed, federal judge Kyle wrote a 24-page summation and finished it with, there is substantial evidence supporting the jury's award and verdict. Mm. So Chris Kyle as great a shot as he was, all the medals he won, it does not mean that he was not a liar. Because mm -hmm. he lied about me. Now why, I don't know. He's not alive to answer for it. I wish he was alive. I'd have loved to have gotten him on the stand. You know? And had my lawyer question him in front of a jury. But, uh... Let me ask you a question. So, w without... And yet, Mark, I'm the villain in the teams, and I did right. nothing. That's kind of what I was getting at. You can, you know, you can probably, or let me ask you straight out, can you put yourself in their shoes and, have, and knowing that they don't know what you know, can you see why they're critical of you and understand that, you know, that, that this notion that you're suing Kyle and now is, his ex, uh, not his ex, but his No, I, I, I can't wife. understand it, because if it would have happened to every one of them, they'd have did the same thing. Right. And the point is, it goes back to my training. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to roll over and go down in history as a traitor, because a guy lies about me, and I was willing to spend a million dollars to clear my name. Mm -hmm. And it cost them nothing. It's a big insurance conglomerate footing the bill. And yet they beat me up on television. They beat, you know, Bill O'Reilly tells me to man up and drop the lawsuit. How can I do that? Then I go down as a traitor? I had to clear my name, Mark, and I didn't care what it took to do it. And the point is, Chris Kyle may have been many things, and he was certainly guys' teammates, just as I have teammates. I can understand their loyalty. They came up here. They tried to help out a teammate. But at some point, doesn't it enter into their mind at all that Chris may have lied? Mm -hmm. Now I want to get to something that I want to read to you. This came to me, to my attorney as a matter of fact, right after the trial concluded. And let me read this, Mark, because I, I keep this every day. 
It says, Governor Ventura, I want to commend you on your difficult but outspoken pursuit of the truth and encourage you to stay the course and know that you are doing the right thing. I also want to say that what you are enduring is part of a something much bigger that's been organized by fellow team guys who are using the SEAL name for their own gain and making money off the backs of others without regard for the truth. Simply look at how many books have been written by SEALs in the past few years. I know the team guys of old were the true quiet professionals, yet recently this group has figured out how to nationally exploit their service through false and exaggerated claims which has and will bring more discredit on our community. Chris Kyle is but one representative of this group and unfortunately chose to encounter with you and sought to capitalize on your reputation and national recognition. Eventually it may come to light that his exploits are are marred by many instances of exaggerations, outright lies, and even murderous acts of engaging targets who were no threat to himself or others, including innocent civilians. Plenty of people, especially those on the West Coast, know all about this, yet many guys are fearful of the whistleblower label and being targeted by this group because they either don't have the wherewithal or the reputation to withstand their attacks. You should also know that much of this condemnation of you that you have received is also organized by the same group of guys. These people recognize that any exposure of the truth could undermine their efforts and shed light on their corruption. Perhaps your relentless pursuit of the truth in the face of great adversity and notoriety may inspire the legions of SEALs who know about this to come forward with their own personal story and help rid the community of these self-serving scammers. And then it's signed, good luck and take care, fellow frogman. Now that was sent to me anonymously when the trial ended. Mm -hmm. And I keep that. I keep it right at my desk. I don't know if it's true. I don't know anything more than what was what you heard written right there. Right, right. But uh, I can only say that and tell everybody again, the whole Chris Kyle story on me is made up. And you see it in, in, in my court case because every time they rewrote the story, it got better. And they even changed locations with it. At one point, <laughs> he was striking me outside my head in mean... the curb and I didn't get up. In the stories of the um, respondents or, or in different drafts of the book? In different drafts of the book. Oh, interesting. Oh, yeah. We, we showed all that in court. How, how it got for one, one draft had me getting hit, going down and hitting my head and not getting up. <laughs> now, here's another thing they didn't plan for in the court case. Since the year 2003, I've been on wafer and Cuban and blood thinners. So if Chris Kyle would have knocked me down and knocked me out, I'm a bleeder. I'm on blood thinners. It would, we have photos of me that night and the next day, and I have no marks whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Now, how could he deck me and knock me out and not leave a mark when I take blood thinners? Mm-hmm. See, they didn't realize I was on thinners. Did they ever depose the um, the co-writers, McEwen and the other guy? I don't know. Uh, uh, yeah, in fact, the, the one writer that did the book with him even brought his attorney with him when he had to get on the stand. 
That's how scared he was. He had an attorney with him. Interesting. Oh, yeah, we deposed them all. We deposed every seal that, that Kyle put down as a witness, all of them. And not one of them could say they heard me say what I said, and not one of them saw me get hit. Interesting. All they said was, well, it looked like something happened in the corner, or it looked like something happened outside the wall by the street. Oh, the, the, the court's public record, I urge anybody, if you want some good reading, go read the trial. It's very interesting. Like I said, it got embarrassing because about halfway through it, you realize that these guys are all just backing up their friend right. and that uh, they didn't see anything and they're just trying to do whatever it takes for him to prevail. Yeah. And the thing that bothers me about it the most, Mark, is that they're doing it to a fellow brother. Yeah. They're doing it. That, would be, that, it would be like it would be like me doing it to a World War II guy. Right. Here you got the Iraq guys throwing a Vietnam guy under the bus for fame and fortune. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, it doesn't make sense at all. And so for all of the team, and then here's the part that got me: 170 team members signed a petition to throw me out of the UDT SEAL Association. Hmm. To throw me out, and I didn't do a thing. Mm-hmm. didn't do a thing this is a fabricated story from top to bottom I proved it in federal court it's very difficult to win a defamation when you're a public figure Right. look at it this way Mark how overwhelming was the evidence for the jury to side with me going against a widow and a war veteran yeah I can imagine You know, I, I hadn't really ever looked into this I mean this is frankly the first time I've heard this this whole story but I imagine um, Chris Kyle was, you know, a national hero. You know, his movie probably was, had already been out. And oh, totally, it was dream. out. He made hundreds of millions. Yeah, and and you know his, you know, and his uh, memorial down in the stadium in Texas, I think it was in Dallas. Yeah, was full. And there yet, were literally and like hundred thousand people there. Mark, you're an intelligent guy. You're an officer. You're a college grad. How overwhelming would the evidence have to be for the jury to side with me? Yeah, I can imagine it would need to be pretty damn strong. I mean, again, it would have a, to be overwhelming. No, no experience in law or with attorneys. Well, I got a little bit, unfortunately, too. Most of us do in business, but yeah, it would have to be pretty strong. That's interesting. Well, well if you've yeah. ever been in court before, you know, I have on multiple occasions, right. you know, in different capacities. But again, the evidence had to be overwhelming for them to go to side with me. And again, the Kyle family—they're not paying a penny. And, and and what I win, if I do prevail, will be paid by an insurance company. Right. So, and yet they portrayed me as this villain. You're simply looking for your name to be cleared. Yeah. I didn't award me the money. The jury did. Right. You know, I went there to seek the truth. He lied about me. He destroyed my reputation that I spent 40 years building. And you can bet if I run for president this spring under the libertarian banner, it'll come up again. Of course, yeah. You know, I think that's why it's important to kind of get it out there. You know, people people may not believe what they hear, but at least they're hearing your side of the story, and they well, can't hear can Kyle's side. Wait, Mark, Mark, how can they not? Wait, Mark, how can they not believe it now when I won in federal court? What they I don't, think well, is the to me, then I don't understand them because this is a jury of your peers. These right. are not. I didn't know any of these people. They're regular, everyday people. And then you got a federal judge who's well-respected, yeah. Federal Judge Kyle, 
and he writes a 24-page summary all in my favor, finishing with overwhelming evidence. Are those, have you made those public? Are those, is there a place where people can go read that stuff? Sure. I think so. I don't know. I, you know, I don't know. Yeah. But uh, I just wanted to get that clear because your show is heard by a lot of guys. And look what it's done to me now. I can't go to a reunion anymore. Yeah, that sucks. You know why? That was the one place I always felt safe. Yeah. It was the one place I felt I could be myself. I didn't have to worry about anything. And now I'd be looking over my shoulder going, who's going to backstab me next? Right. So when people think I haven't paid a price, I've paid a huge price for this lie. Yeah. A big that one. brings me to my question, you know, in the in the theme, you know, back to buds that every, every challenge holds the seed of some of your, you know, best insights sure. and lessons. What what good came out of this for you? There has to be something. Uh, uh the only good that came out of it for me was I cleared my name officially in a federal courtroom. Right where you have to do it. And I was forced to do that. And what did and, you learn from this? There, the other good was I've handled it because I was a villain in wrestling, so I can go back to that mental attitude of being a villain again. Right. And and, and that's how I fight my way through it, even though I shouldn't be a villain. Right. I am the innocent victim here. Yeah, you know, it's like that, that old saying, though, there's there's three sides to every story, you know. <laughs> there's oh, there certainly is. But where do you I, prove it? You prove it in a court of law, and I did. Right, and you did, yeah. You know, that's the bottom line to me. I won. The jury believed me, and like I said, how overwhelming was the evidence for a jury to go against the war, the dead war veteran and his grieving wife? Because she was so on the stand. Right. Is there a chance that this Court of Appeals could overturn it? I mean, Yeah, and here's what they want. You don't even know this. Oh, it's gotten real interesting. Last May, 32 of the major media conglomerates entered with a friendly letter to the court asking it to be overturned. What? Yep. I'm battling the New York Times, the Washington Post, every major media, Gannett, Every major, I could go down the list if I had it in front of me, all wanting my verdict overturned of unjust enrichment. They want it this way. They want it to where corporations can defame somebody, profit from it, and the person defamed can't touch their profits. Interesting. It would be like this, Mark. Let me simplify it for you. It would be like you go out and rob the bank, right? Mm -hmm. And they catch you. So they sentence you to three years for the actual bank robbery, but when you get out, you get to keep the money you took. <laughs> That's what they're asking for. They want my unjust enrichment overturned so that they will, then defamation will become a business. They, will, they can go out and defame anybody, profit from it, and walk away with their profits, pay off a little defamation money, and walk away with their profits. So these, these are publishing companies who are worried about this verdict yep. basically causing well, an avalanche, of, they want avalanche the, of libel lawsuits. They want the law overturned. The law of unjust enrichment is there. It's been there since 1960. They want it overturned. And they want so to that they case. then have, that, that makes the bar even higher, and that way they can defame anybody and it'll become a business. They can defame you, profit from it. Put it this way, it'll give, the National Enquirer will have carte blanche if they're successful. Yeah, interesting. Well, let's hope that doesn't happen. Forgot. I hope not. Already a mess.
I hope not. Well, let's let's move on from Kyle. Sure. I mean, I I think yeah. that was uh, very enlightening, and I appreciate you sharing that. Well, like I hope the guys people. out there can can find it in their hearts to realize put put themselves in my shoes. I didn't do a thing, and it never happened. And look what it's done to four years of my life—a million dollars—and it's been four years of my life trying to clear up my name. Right. And I'm still, and it'll never be because there'll always be those that don't believe it. Yeah, that's kind of like the the, the parting shot here is, you know, when when someone you know throws something at you, no matter how. How hard you defend it, something sticks, you know. And, and oftentimes, the harder you defend it, the more vocal you are, and, and even taking legal action, it tends to stick even more. And so, it's well, difficult. It, I understand. It's a tough, yeah, tough and it's decision. also the fact that the, it, that uh, once somebody does write something and puts it in print, people generally automatically believe it. Then they tend to believe it. Yeah. Yep. Sure. They tend to believe it. Then, well, it's in writing here. Speaking, that's a good segue. Speaking of people believing things. You, you, um, the last uh, few years, I don't know uh, exactly the time frame, but you got back into TV and you did a show about conspiracy theories, right? Yeah. So, tell us about that and what what was that like and how did that you get into phenomenal. that? That was phenomenal. I mean, I got in all sorts of trouble for that one. <laughs> oh, man, I, what I did learn from it, though, here's what I learned. You cannot go to the United States government with a question and expect to get an answer. <laughs> so did you use Freedom of Information Act and all those different channels to try to... We, we tried, get, but we didn't have... you got to remember, we didn't have time to go through that process. Right, not for a TV show, right? You know, not for a TV show. We, actually, when, when we came up with conspiracy theory, that came because I've been reading on John F. Kennedy's murder my entire adult life, and I do not believe what they've told us. I do not believe the Warren yeah. Commission... Yeah, and, I, yeah. and I do not believe that Kennedy was killed by Lee Harvey Oswald. Yeah, I think there's a lot of us who would kind of uh, agree with you on and, that. Well, that being said, I was out with my people in L.A., and we got into the talk about that, and one of them said, God, this is a TV show waiting to happen. Mm-hmm. And so we then developed conspiracy theory, and initially we were going to do it where we showed both sides of the conspiracy and then mm-hmm. allow the viewer at the end to choose which one they felt they want to side with. But the show evolved so quickly because when one side won't cooperate, because most of the conspiracies tend to deal with the government in some right. way, and when one side won't cooperate at all, it's pretty difficult to tell their side then, isn't it? Right. So we just then morphed the show and said, let's show the conspiratorial side. The hell with what the status quo says. We'll go through what they say, but we'll do it from the side of the conspiracy. And so it, it, it was three years. We did eight shows, 24 of them, and they aired 23 of the 24. Oh, that's cool. That we did. And we went, I got read off on the so floor eight, of Congress. Eight conspiracies you looked. Some of them went multiple shows. Well, uh, yeah. I got, re- I got read off on the floor of Congress when I exposed how uh, Congress had voted FEMA to build five of these internment camps throughout America, and it's all true. Yeah, they've got these internment camps in different places in the country. I've heard and, about that. Yeah, yeah, and they look just like the German ones. Because on the show, we showed the German ones, and we show these. They all got railroad spikes to them. They all, you know, and all of, they look identical. Interesting. Why are they em- building these? Right, and they're empty, and they don't have a good rationale for what they're for. Well, here, here's the. Well, they claim it's for national disasters, so they'll have places to put people. 
<laughs> Why does that like, like Katrina? Like now, but here's the problem, Mark. The barbed wire. Right. It speaks volumes, and you know as well as I do, when it's straight up, it's neutral. If it's facing out, it's to keep people from getting in. If it's facing right. in, it's to pe keep people from getting out. All the barbed wire on these FEMA camps are facing in. No kidding. Yeah, so that's to keep people in. And the scary part, one of them we saw has in the back all the things for little kids to play on. Oh, my God. Really? And I went up to the door when they finally would answer the door. All the answer they give you is talk to Homeland Security. Talk to Homeland Security. And, of course, Homeland Security won't talk to you. But uh, I asked them point blank. I said, I notice in the back there's children's stuff. Can you verify, have you ever had children inside this barbed wire? And, of course, they won't answer. And I got Wait, the other is there, is there any, Congress for that one. Is there anybody in these, or are they all just empty? They're pretty empty, but that, we've heard that there have been people in them. We've heard they've kept illegal immigrants in some of them. Interesting. You know, where they lie, and maybe that's why there's kids. Right. But to me, I don't think a child right. should ever be put no, into no. a facility that's a prison. Unless the you know unless the argument is you don't want to separate them from their parents. So if you're wrong, you know if you're wrong, well, why would parents, you, What if the parents do wrong? Come across the border illegally? Right, right. That 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 gets you imprisonment. Right. It's like I've said on this whole border deal. If you build the wall, anyone that comes over the wall, do we shoot them? Right. Is it the death penalty then? Right. That's a I don't get that. That's a scary step, and I agree with you. It's well, to me, I don't want to live in East Berlin. Right. And that's what they apparently want to do here. They want to build walls and turn us into East Berlin. Hmm. So that, you know, we've been gone kind of long in the tooth. This is sure. going to end up with two podcasts, but I, I've still got quite a, a couple more things. Um, what is, you know, because you're already talking about it, but what is your vision for the future? Not, you know, for, not just this country, but for the, the world at large. Are you an optimist? You know, are you coming from a point, place of abundance? Or are you, I try to are be. You, pessimistic and you're thinking all shit's going, you know, shit's going You know, I try to be an optimist as much as I can, but I get more feelings of doubt the older I get right. that the United States has seen its best day. Right. And I don't think in my lifetime until now I've ever had those feelings. Maybe it's just old age. I don't know. Yeah. But, uh, uh, but I get, I get in, in watching. Let me give it to you this way. I just got back from Moscow. Mm -hmm. I went to Moscow. I met Putin. And I just got back from there in December. Right. And the thing that was amazing was the Russian people and how joyous and happy they are. No kidding. And, and I was able to determine the reason is because they're experiencing freedom they've never had. Mm -hmm. The communists are gone now. When I landed over there at night, I'm driving, and what do I see? Kentucky Fried Chicken and McDonald's. No kidding. I thought they actually took me up. The weather was identical to Minnesota. I thought they took me up and flew me in circles and dropped me back in Minnesota because I left when it was dark and I arrived there when it was dark. <laughs> and I saw the same McDonald's, Kentucky Fried Chicken. The only thing was it was written in Russian. <laughs> and, uh, but, but the thing I noticed was this, Mark. The people there are embracing this new freedom. Minnesota is never a piker when it comes to holiday lights. Right. Moscow makes us look nothing. Interesting. I never saw so many Christmas lights in my life as I saw in Moscow, Russia. 
and and the people there and the thing I drew from it was they're heading where we were and we're heading where they were. That's fascinating insight, yeah. You know, we're being locked down. We're getting on the brink of martial law here. Right. And yet they over there in the Soviet are, are rejoicing over it. They now refer to, well, when the communists were in charge. Because right. they're not now. And they're experiencing a freedom that most of those people in their lifetimes have never had. I've never seen young people as happy as I did watching young Russians. Right. Well, and really and it, it kind of broke my heart a little. Yeah. Because I thought we should be going that direction even still and be that much farther ahead of them. Well, let me, this kind of, uh, there's one thing that's really been puzzling me lately. Oh, uh, let me know, add this before, can you hold your thought. Sure. Yeah, I will. I met Putin, and Putin spoke that night. I was there for Russian Television America because they carry my show on the Internet. None of our stations will, mm -hmm. but RT America will, so they paid for me to come over. It was their 10-year anniversary. Putin got up and spoke and said he will never interfere in our content on Russian TV. He will never tell us what to talk about or try to influence our opinion in any way. And I have to believe him because I've been on with them now for over a year, and they've never told me nothing to talk about. Mm -hmm. I have free will to talk about anything I want to talk about. Mm -hmm. So I have to believe Putin's telling me the truth because that's what he said up there. And I've been doing it for a year, and the proof's in the pudding. Right. You know? Right. That's, that's Did you know here, I opposed the Iraq war, and I, I was supposed to be on MSNBC five nights a week, and when they found out I opposed the Iraq war, they would not put me on, and they paid me for three years and bought my silence? <laughs> True. No kidding. Yes. Interesting. They paid me. I was on, and it was a contract like a pro athlete. I had just come out of the governor. I was the voice of the independent. There was a bidding war between Fox, CNN, and MSNBC. MSNBC won. They were designing a show for me five nights a week, and then it came up. We got a call. The governor doesn't support the invasion of Iraq, and my associate said, no, he's opposed to it. The, the uh -huh. caller says, is there a chance he changes his mind? He said, that we don't think so. My show got shelved. And they paid me the entire three years so I couldn't do any news shows or do any cable television. Because you were on contract. Yeah. Yep. They wouldn't let you out of the contract. They wanted no, to keep Well, I didn't want to be out of it, really. They paid me a lot of money. <laughs> you know, I mean, I sat home. Yeah, and but they, they effectively silenced you with that. Yeah, they said, in essence, bought my silence right. in its own way. I mean, I have to honor the contract, and I believe in honoring contracts. Right, right. You know, I signed it, so I lived by it, and so did they. But in, I went three years. In fact, my house in Mexico, they generally, you name your house down there. It's like Casa whatever. I came within an eyelash of naming my house there, Casa MSNBC. <laughs> you know? Instead, I, I named it Casa El uh, Hombre Rana, which means the house of the frog man. Oh, cool. Because yeah. Rana's frog and Hombre's man. Right. Cool. But they say it man frog. <laughs> okay, that's kind of weird. No, in their language, they say the object first, right. then the description. Right, right. So right. it'd be man frog. That's cool. So, so what, what's, what was, you know, been on my mind lately, and I just came home from a, a, yep. a conference up in L.A. where it was all about future technology and convergence and what's happening with, you know, companies like Uber and AI and robotics, and it's just mind-numbing, and it's happening 
way faster than most people, or I would say all people, have any clue. You know what's coming down the pike, and what is you know what is causing is a massive, you know, decentralization and kind of democratization of technology, of the ability to earn money, of entrepreneurship, which is creating you know around the world, not just you know this, this is this is equally true whether you're in Estonia or the United States. And what it means is that it's going to get be harder and harder to govern centrally, right? And so you're going to see like a lot of paralysis and confusion and just flailing in politics and in government, which, my opinion, is going to lead to more centralization and more of a, you know, attempt to control. Right? So you have you have the technology pushing the populace to be more um, empowered, and then you have the government reacting to that. And contracting to try to centralize more to, to, to disempower, and so it's really fascinating to me. And what, what do you think about that? I, kind of I would view that it may be. I'm a great believer in science. I'm an atheist, yeah. and I believe in science, and I believe in evolution. We're evolving all the time. Absolutely. Yeah. And and this and my belief on this and like a one world government, it may be it may be it it may be evolution. Right. There yeah. might be nothing we can do about it. Right. You can't, right. It's, not, it's not a theory. It's not a philosophy. It's just, it just happens. Yeah, one because day. with all the technology, the world's getting smaller. Absolutely. Much smaller. And therefore, you may end up, probably not in my lifetime, and Mark, probably not in yours, maybe. Right. But maybe 50 to 100 years from now, we will be under one world government, probably. Now, yeah, the I think key it's, is I we think better make it a good one. Better and make the, it a good one, right. right. And, and the second part of, of, of it is there could be one good thing about that. You know, I've thought about this. You know what the good thing about a one-world government would be? What's that? Well, wouldn't that eliminate war? You would think so. You'd think it, it would, wouldn't it? It would, it? Not, we were all it would not eliminate violence. Right. Well, it wouldn't eliminate violence. You'd still always have violence. Right. But wouldn't it eliminate war? It could, yeah. I think that's, I mean, it I think that's inevitable. Yeah, because if you evolve, because wars are caused government to government. That's right. And if you only have one government, they're not. Are they going to fight themselves? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think it's going to happen faster than most people think. This I think you may be right. I hope I've, it, I hope I'm gone. Technology, no kidding. Technology is accelerating, and a lot of it's still kind of behind the curtain. But I tell you what, when it when it finally reaches that tipping point, that critical mass, it explodes. You know, you saw what happened with the iPhone. I mean, shit, we, you don't use it, but every you know, eight billion people will be using an iPhone, which has oh. more computing power than the computers you know on your it's, desk. It's insanity. I, yeah, I go and to robotics I go to the... and artificial intelligence. It's all accelerating. I mean, they say I was on stage, or I listened to this guy Ray Kurzweil, who's chief science officer at Google, speak a couple of days ago, and you know, he was saying the singularity where where you know, basically computing power uh, meets the the computing power of the human brain. It's about 2035 or something like that. And then it accelerates from there. And these are going to be the self-learning systems, meaning uh, a robot with artificial intelligence is going to be able to learn from all the other robots out there okay. with artificial intelligence because it will be collected to the cl- connected to the cloud. And then there's going to be human-to-robot interfaces and nanobots running around our bodies. And this is happening way faster than people expect or even think about. They think still it's like way in the future, hundreds of years. This is happening in the next 20 years. Oh, boy. And the impact on government and the impact on our personal lives is, is going to be radically transformative I, and 
Who knows? It's going to have I, I think it's time for me to head off the grid permanently. <laughs> I think so. Well, that's my thinking. It's like, you, you know, if you come and say, hey, Mark, it's time to connect you to the grid or to the Internet, I'd be like, okay, where's Jesse? I'm coming. Yeah. <laughs> I'm coming well, to cross me, the frog, man, man. <laughs> this, is, this is leading me to head off the grid permanently and live out my life. And <laughs> that's the one thing I love about where I live in Mexico. It gives me a complete second life. Down there, I only live at what I can see. I love that. Yeah, that's really cool. That's all that I know. I, and down there, nobody gives a shit about the stock market. Right. And so just, what, uh, you mentioned, you mentioned uh, the, the, the P word. Like, is, is there a possibility that you're going to get back into politics? Is there yeah, something that's I'm going to Mexico shortly to clear my head out, to watch what happens like a, a good team, would, a team guy would. Right. You always operate off intelligence, right? Right. Well, I'm just watching, sitting in the weeds. And if, if it depends on who the candidates are, and if the right. candidates line up correctly for me, I've been contacted twice by the Libertarian Party, mm-hmm. and they've told me to come to their convention, they'd like to nominate me. And if mm-hmm. they did that, I think I'd be on like 47 states' ballots mm. and as the Libertarian candidate. Okay. And I can I can be a libertarian because I believe in the main things that they believe in. They want to end the wars in the Middle East, which I do. Right. They also want to end the war on drugs, which I do too. Yeah, I'm with you on that. And so there's there's uh, we stand together on a lot of issues. And mm-hmm. so if I run, it'll be under the libertarian banner, and it just depends who the Dems and the Repubs put out there that'll determine whether I do it or not. Right. You think it's going to be Trump and Hillary, or what? what, what I don't know. Uh, you know, I've known Donald for 25 years now, and Donald actually came to a fundraiser for me back in '98 for governor. Oh, no, Donald's okay. an independent. Don't think for a second he's a Republican. He just yeah. joined the Republicans to get a nomination, just like Bernie did that with the Democrats. I love what they're doing. Right. They're destroying the two political parties as we know them, which I give them great kudos for. Yeah, I agree. But I don't always agree with their positions. I concur there. I do. I agree with that. The whole assessment. I think that what's happening is good because the parties were just way too, you know, fringe and and entrenched with yep. political interests and money and whatnot. And so I'll tell you where I Bernie agree with really Bernie Sanders, though. Here's where I agree with Bernie Sanders: the disparity between who runs companies and the workers. Yeah. Thirty years ago, the head of the company made 30 times more than the worker. Today, the head of the company makes 300 times. Right. Yeah, that's a little distorted. And I want that destroyed. I've come out and said, we don't need a minimum wage. We need a maximum one. (laughs) Well, think about it, Mark. If you make $100 million a year, ain't that enough? Yeah, that's enough. You know, for, especially for a public company where you're a hired gun, that's that's insane. Or a health company. Or a health care company. How about right? these guys that have the health care industry that are making hundreds of millions of dollars with ramped up health costs? I don't believe, and here's my position on that. I think every American deserves the same health care as a congressman gets. I love that. I completely agree. Yeah, it should be the same system. Well, they, whatever a congressman gets, that's what I should get. I agree. You know? And isn't that uh, isn't theirs government-run health care? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So you can see I, I'm I'm fiscally conservative, but I'm socially liberal, which means I can't fit in either. I don't right. care if gays get married. It's none of my business. Let them. I've often said on the military, 
why shouldn't gays be allowed to serve? It's their country, too. Right. What do you, you think know? about women, women in the SEAL teams? If they can make it, right. as long as we don't lower the standards. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'll tell you who up until she got beat, who I thought would be a good candidate to be a SEAL, Ronda Rousey. Yeah, yeah a lot of people <laughs> thought that. <laughs> She's a scrapper. But look at it this way. She lost. So what? So did Ali. So did Frazier. So did Foreman. They all lose at least once. Right. You know, so she still... But I, I thought right away, Ronda Rousey now would... Because would, you know she's a former swimmer. Right. You know, and I thought there's a girl that could probably make it yeah. to Buds. Well, for that to work, there's got to be more than one. You know, that, that's the whole irony with that. I agree with you. I think, you know, if women can make it through the training and we, and we don't reduce the standards, great. Let them take a shot at it. But then there's the whole... You know, other side is like, you know, are we going to have one female seal or two? It's going to take years for enough women to really develop the training and the and the interest, right? To, Maybe to have any you know what they ought to do? Critical, critical mass, you know. Do you know what they ought to do? I just thought of this. They should see if there's enough to make a platoon and make them their own platoon. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Wouldn't it? No, think about the thing. They, no one would suspect them. Well, you know, there are plenty of women who serve in spec ops, you know, even at DevGrew and whatnot, and, yeah. and they do an incredible job. And so the, the notion that women you know, shouldn't be in combat is already in the special ops community has already been disproven because they've proven yeah. to be very worthy fighters and, yeah. and to be able and, to do the job. And as far as gays go, gays go, I go with, do you remember old Senator Barry Goldwater? Yeah. Republican? He had a quote on it way back in the early 60s about gays in the military, and his quote's great. He says, all I care is that they could shoot straight. <laughs> well, you, you know, there's other issues, of course, right? There's a lot of uh, cases of, you know, unhealthy, you know, uh, actions, right? And, and, and people well, let's put it this way, so Mark. That gets kind of we heteros have nothing to talk about. Yeah, I agree. You know, the heteros can't point no finger at nobody with our behavior, tail hook and things of that nature. So I'm thinking to myself, you know, you need at least a platform to stand on, and I don't think we have one. Yeah. <laughs> Good point. All right, Jesse. Man, we could go on for another oh, two or could, three hours. Mark, I know we got it. And I want to thank you for letting me air the stuff about Kyle, because I know yeah. that a lot of team guys are going to hear this, and I yeah. want them to hear my side of the story, that it never happened, and that truthfully I'm the victim. Yeah, you know, I might get some critique for even letting you say that, but hell, you know, to me, uh, you know, everyone deserves their say. I wish Chris could have called in and, you know, had his say, and then people can kind of, you know, figure it out on their own. But ultimately, you know, you did what you thought was right. Well, anyway, Mark, great to talk to you. Keep up the good work. Good luck. And and if we do fall under one government, you'll know I'm (laughs) off the grid. (laughs) Yeah, I won't even go looking for you, Max. (laughs) <laughs> Good luck with everything. It's been great uh, great connecting. Hope to see you in person uh, sometime soon. If I can do anything for you, just reach on up. Thank you, and hopefully we can right. do it again. Maybe if I'm running for president, we'll do it again. Let's do that. That'd be great. My All right. Bye-bye. Uh, good talking to you, Jesse. Take care. Bye. All right, folks, that's uh, it. You heard it from the horse's mouth, Jesse Ventura, potential future candidate for president, former governor of Minnesota, former Navy SEAL, former... WWF wrestling uh, champion and actor and gosh, what an interesting life, what an interesting guy. So thanks for listening and uh, you know if you're one of my teammates, uh, have an open mind and um, you know there's there's like I said three sides to every story. <laughs> 
my side, your side, and the right side. So check it out. Uh, stay safe. Train hard. Keep focused on the right thing. And uh, to maintain that unbeatable mind. Who ya? Coach Divine out. Lock it low, boys. Time to explode, boys. Make sure you get home, boys. They got your back, the pride of the fleets, the bright swinging frog.